going on, everyone? Welcome back to another episode of Clee Talk presented by FenleyRoadSports.com. I am your host, Bob. I'm hanging out talking my favorite hometown Cleveland sports, as always, with my older brother, Chris. Chris, what's going on, man? Not much, man. It's it's weird not talking about the World Series and the Cleveland Indians, but uh, we got another big game on tap, I guess. Uh, it's, it's still weird that they're not in the World Series. Not over it yet. No, nor am I. Um, I've completely ignored baseball, though. I've moved on to basketball and, and football is you know in the thick of it, uh, both college and professionally. So I'm trying my best to ignore um, any baseball coverage because, yeah, it, it still stings that uh, the Tribe is not playing right now. Yeah, but fortunately, we're finally starting to get into the thick of football. A lot of the garbage games are over with, and we finally have some good matchups to talk about. Yeah, uh, at least good Ohio State matchups. Uh, certainly um, the the game of the season for them approaches this Saturday as they uh, host the number two ranked team in the nation in Penn State. Um, that's going to be an afternoon game uh, in Columbus. Chris, uh, this is a, a massive game. I mean, Ohio State, ever since that Oklahoma loss, uh, has played opposition so inferior that they haven't won by less than 30 points uh, over the past month and a half so so back to uh, a marquee matchup and probably the, the game of the season uh, in terms of Ohio State's fortunes and, and whatnot how uh, how wh- what is on the line in, in this game uh, for, for both teams Big Ten championship uh, college football playoff aspirations uh what what what's at stake for both these teams well both of those things because uh both teams are still in the driver's seat for the big 10 championship along with michigan state uh three undefeated teams in the big 10 east as far as conference goes michigan state and ohio state both have one loss overall but they're all 4-0 in their division two games up on now two lost michigan team that just lost to penn state so for all intents and purposes the big 10 east is a three-team race and the Big Ten West is a one-team race with Wisconsin at 4-0, 7-0, probably going to cruise to that championship uh, because I don't believe they play too many teams in the Big Ten East. But focusing in on Penn State and Ohio State is a monumental game for both teams because as Ohio State learned last year, they lost to Penn State and they were shut out of the Big Ten championship despite having more overall wins than Penn State. Now, this time around, that's not going to play out because Penn State is the undefeated team coming into this game and Ohio State has a out-of-conference loss. Now, their out-of-conference loss is tougher than what Penn State's was last year, which is why Ohio State made the uh, conference, excuse me, the college football playoff over Penn State. Now, excuse me, they beat Oklahoma last year, which is why they made uh, the college football playoff over Penn State. Yeah, th- their out-of-conference schedule was strong. Exactly, yeah, year. that's what I meant to say. Um, so this time around, Ohio State doesn't have that get-out-of-jail-free card. And when you look at the schedule ahead, Ohio State still has Michigan State. And Michigan, obviously, those two teams will be viewed as quality opponents. But this is the big game. Number two team in the country. You, you got to win this game from here on out. Ohio State has no margin for error with that one loss. If they win out as a one-loss Big Ten champion, they will be in the college football playoff. If any of these teams, Penn State, Michigan State, Ohio State, Wisconsin, win the Big Ten with one or fewer losses, 
they're in the college football playoff. I cannot see a scenario where they would be left out. So that's what's on the line for both of these teams, really, because if Penn State loses this game and gets shut out by a one-loss team of the Big Ten title game, they're not going to get Ohio State treatment like last year because Penn State does not have an Oklahoma-like win on its resume to make up for not winning its conference like Ohio State did last year. So I I think last year was the anomaly. This year, things are going to be a lot more normal. It's just win the Big Ten, don't lose more than one game, and you're in. And right now, all those teams have a shot to do it. Ohio State needs to get past the one that's ahead of them, and that's Penn State. Yeah, unlike last year, I mean, there are four legitimate contenders for for that Big Ten title right now, and all of them highly ranked. I mean, three in the top ten Michigan State uh, is 16th, I believe, as of this week. Uh, so, yeah, it's a, it's definitely a more crowded field than last year, uh, which just ups the ante for this game even more so. I think uh, this is if you if you lose, you're going home. If you win, if you win, you're still in the stakes to to go to that college football playoff and and the Big Ten title uh, in route. Um, so, yeah, a huge, huge uh outcome uh on the line here for for both teams um chris uh ohio state obviously hosting penn state this is uh was a heartbreaking loss on the road for for ohio state last year with some key special teams uh snafus and jt barrett again kind of going into a hole um what what were the matchups here uh what is the edge for ohio state uh coming into this matchup well, the edge for Ohio State is, is, as always, establishing the run, using guys like J.K. Dobbins, Mike Weber. They have got to get the running game going to <coughs> excuse me, to make things easier for J.T. Barrett. You know, we've talked about this a couple times on the podcast. Look, Bob, I know the Ohio State Buckeyes, they've looked great over the last five weeks. But when the best opponent you face over the last five weeks is Maryland, maybe Nebraska, it's not saying much. And, and, and JT Barrett has looked outstanding in those games. His lowest completion percentage since the Oklahoma loss was 64.5%. That's really good. Only one game he failed to throw for three touchdowns. That was against Army. He only threw two. Look, Bob, it's, it's easy to look like a really good passer, when you're facing that competition. But but dial it back to Oklahoma. 183 passing yards, 54.3% completion, no touchdowns, one interception. Dial it back to Clemson in the college football playoffs. 127 yards, 57.6 completion, zero touchdowns, two interceptions. Let's go back to Michigan, another big game against the big team. 124 yards passing, 46.9 per completion, one interception, no touchdown. Let's go back to Michigan State. A win, but only 45.5% completion, 86 yards, and a touchdown, no interceptions. Now, he did run for 105 yards and 125 yards against the two Michigan teams, so that should be noted. And it should be noted that they beat Michigan in double overtime, but honestly had no business winning that game. Point I'm making here is JT Barrett in his last four big-time marquee games has not played well as a passer. And it's cost them against Clemson and Oklahoma. The strategy for Penn State, I believe, will be make JT Barrett throw the ball. Take away that running attack. Take away Dobbins and Weber. And make JT Barrett make 
throws. He's got receivers. He has to make throws. Also in JT Barrett's defense, he's thrown for 21 touchdowns to just one interception this year. That one interception came in an Oklahoma game where he didn't throw any touchdowns. So the point I'm making here is, Bob, all these stats that JT Barrett is piling up as a passer look great, but when you look closer at the six-week opponents he's played, there is a drastic difference between what he looks like as a passer against that competition and against big-time competition. And he needs to show, and he needs to be this kind of a quarterback on the big stage if Ohio State is going to win because Penn State's going to make him do it. Yeah, for sure. Um, it sounds like a broken record at this point. You know, the two JT Barretts, the the big team, big game JT Barrett, and the, the rest of the season JT Barrett. Who's going to show up? Penn State has the blueprint, um, and they did that to success in the second half of last year's matchup uh, when, for whatever reason, Ohio State went solely to JT Barrett, uh, and and Penn State was able to stuff him. And, and come out with with a close win last year. So yeah, I, I think that is an, an obvious strategy, something that uh, you know Barrett needs to step up in order for Ohio State to win. But Chris, uh, it, it's more than just a player on Ohio State. Penn State has some offensive firepower as well, including Heisman candidate Saquon Barkley, uh, who last week against uh, a, a staunt uh, Michigan defense had 150 total yards and three touchdowns. And he's got Trace McSorley back there throwing the ball, who uh, also ran for three touchdowns and and a a touchdown pass as well. What does Ohio State have to do to stop these two dynamic players? Well, luckily, they've had two weeks to figure that out because uh, Michigan's defense is very good, to say the least, and they couldn't even do it. Now, Ohio State has a very good defensive unit, don't get me wrong, but Saquon Barkley... Tracy McSorley, especially Barkley. I mean, the guy has just been a, a, a phenomenal, phenomenal player this entire season. 757 rushing yards already with eight touchdowns. And then in the air, he's got 448 receiving yards on 32 catches and three touchdowns. Bob, the guy could could do 1,000, 1,000. He, he, he legitimately could have 1,000 rushing yards and 1,000 receiving yards. That That is just insane. And it just shows how versatile and dynamic Shaquan Barkley is. And if he is allowed to get going, then McSorley is going to have a much easier time putting together the numbers he has. I mean, he's he's completed 66.8% of his passes, already thrown for 1,800 yards. No doubt Barkley is making that a lot easier on him. I'm not taking anything away from McSorley, but this team runs through Shaquan Barkley. So... The key for Ohio State's defense is to contain Barkley. You are not going to stop the man, but if you can just make him grind out yards, keep him contained, no big plays. He's already got an 80-yard rush and an 85-yard touchdown reception on the year, so the guy can break off big ones. You've got to keep his plays of 15 or more yards to a minimum. That is a lot easier said than done, but if they can do that, then they can tighten the screws a little bit on McSorley and maybe take them out of their offensive rhythm. Again, it's oversimplifying it, but taking Barkley away is going to be absolutely key for Ohio State to have success on defense. Fortunately, they've had two weeks coming off the bye to prepare for one of college football's most dynamic players. Yeah, uh... I don't know. I mean, Ohio State uh, has had an unfortunate draw in terms of the, these big-time games 
playing against some pretty magical players and Baker Mayfield who who can just all of a sudden put a game on his shoulders and and, and make some pretty spectacular plays and then uh, kind of surprisingly a, a running back Saquon Barkley is able to do almost the same thing uh, in some of the games that I've watched particularly against Iowa uh, a close game that Penn State uh, won earlier in the season you know Barkley despite being a running back late in games he is putting the team on his shoulders and, and is able to make things happen um, he opened up that game against Michigan um, he's a scary player and that's amplified even more by the solid play of McSorley they have a good one-two punch a, a reliable passer to at least make defenses think about the pass uh despite having a Heisman contender in Barkley in the backfield. So, yeah, they have their work cut out for them. Um, it, it's going to be uh, quite quite the matchup on both ends. I mean, the defense containing JT Barrett and that run option game in Ohio State, and then the Ohio State defense containing these two guys uh, on the Penn State offense. Um, yeah, I mean, it, it's, it, it's going to be an exciting matchup. Um, probably the game of, at least in terms of weight heading into this, regular season this is the, the game of the season so far oh most definitely and, and Ohio State's season is on the line here you know Penn State might be able to absorb a loss and survive but then they need Ohio State to lose a couple times because I don't think Penn State can absorb a loss and not make the Big Ten title game see that's the problem there is that Penn State doesn't have an Oklahoma win in its back pocket like Ohio State did last year if they did then yeah they they, they showed that last year you can absorb a loss not win your conference and still be okay as long as the team that wins the conference has two losses. And so I think that's the tricky situation here. Ohio State cannot afford to go to two losses, and Penn State obviously cannot afford to be shut out of the Big Ten title game. So bottom line, this is going to have all the intensity of a playoff game because it really is one. I believe the loser of this game is most likely eliminated from reaching the college football playoff. I mean, I would say probably – Definitely Ohio State, and and I think you just to reiterate what you said, and, and most likely Penn State. Um, yeah, that 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 seems fair for for college football playoff contention. Now for the Big Ten title, I mean, Chris, between Michigan, Michigan State, Wisconsin, Ohio State, and Penn State. And I know Michigan ha- has fallen off now, but between those top five teams, there's only been one matchup between them all, and that was just last week, Penn State versus Michigan. So we're still figuring out. The, the pecking order of these Big Ten teams um, is the winner of this game the prohibitive favorite to win the Big Ten? No, because Michigan State still hasn't played Ohio State and Penn State. Now, the Michigan State did beat Michigan, um, and, and Penn State That's beat right. Michigan. So Michigan, in my opinion, is is out. They're two losses. They've lost head-to-head to two teams. I don't think they're coming back to win the Big Ten title. They, a lot would have to happen for that to happen. And I agree with you, Penn State can absorb a loss and recover, but they would lose so much control over their destiny. Now, the good thing for Penn State is Ohio State still has to place both Michigan teams, and that would be something that you know could help them because Ohio State still has two tough games on its schedule. But you don't want to lose control of your own destiny, especially, I mean, you, you saw what happened with Ohio State when, when it lost control of its own destiny. It never got back. Unfortunately, it had that big win in its back pocket to recover from it, and that Penn State stumbled twice. But 
Do you really want to hang your season on that? I, I would not. So I think there's just as much on the line for Penn State as there is Ohio State. And boy, look at Penn State's schedule. They just beat Michigan. They get Ohio State. And then their next game is at Michigan State. Talk about running the gauntlet over a three-week period. Yeah, I mean, they passed the first test pretty well against Michigan. Um, but yeah, certainly the uh, a, a rough stretch. And if they come out victorious in all three of those games, I mean, the looks they look pretty set to, to go to the playoff and, and win that Big Ten. Almost definitely. I mean, if Penn State's undefeated, I mean, like I said, if the Big Ten produces an undefeated champion, they're going to the playoff, period. I mean, that's even a one-loss champion. It doesn't matter. As long as you don't have more than one loss, you win the Big Ten, you're in. Well, Chris, uh, time to pick the game. Who do you got? Oh, man. I, I, I really want to pick Ohio State, but I think Penn State's going to win. You think it's going to be a close game? I do, because I think Ohio State has gotten better since it played Oklahoma, and I think having a bye to prepare for Penn State will help, and I also think playing at home will help. But I just think there's something magic going on with Penn State right now, and I'm just not confident in Ohio State shaking the problems it's had over the last couple big games. I, I, I It's one of those I'll believe it when I see it. I, I hope I'm wrong because I would love Ohio State to stay alive, but I think Penn State's going to win. Yeah, I I, I, um, I agree with you. I, I think Penn State has, you said it, they have the magic. They have the star player in, in Barkley. Um, we saw that Ohio State lost at home already against a good team in Oklahoma. Um, you know, I, I'll believe it when I see it at this point uh, in terms of Ohio State's offense coming through in a big game. Um, just from from the trend that we've seen over over the last year and a half, um, yeah, I, I I gotta go with Penn State, and I think I don't think it's gonna be a, a route. I don't think it's gonna be close though. I think Penn State is gonna pull away uh, in the end rather comfortably by a couple scores. Bob, bonus college football talk. I didn't realize your Georgia Bulldogs were still undefeated, and the only team they really have on their schedule is Auburn. Could be, oh yeah, could be something special going on in Georgia. They they don't play Alabama this year. I thought that was an annual game for some reason. No, the uh, Georgia's cross conference. They have a lock in game with Auburn, and then they played Mississippi State earlier in the year. Gotcha. But yeah, the they uh, the, the Notre Dame win uh, is getting better and better for them. Uh, they beat Notre Dame early in the season. They're a top ten team now, so um, there's definitely some legitimacy behind them. Um, pretty exciting stuff. Uh, not to, you know, they have the Auburn game, obviously, and, and Auburn's kind of fallen off with two losses, but they do have their big rivalry game uh, this weekend against Florida, so that uh, will also be a, a key stepping stone for them. One other thing I noticed looking at the rankings, Miami, Hurricanes, 6-0. and That's another kind of a surprise. Uh, not Not a shocking surprise, but still kind of a surprise to see the Hurricanes back. Uh, them and Clemson might be showing down for the ACC. Bob, this is when I start getting into college football, when we're starting to talk playoffs and when these big teams start playing with more frequency. Now it starts to get fun. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, Miami uh, had a dramatic game against Florida State, and then uh, who did they play the week after? They Back-to-back -back dramatic wins, but yeah, they're they're kind of surprising. They've always had that talent, um, and Mark Rick now in his second year, 
you know, you look for that second year for these head coaches to, to make a leap with their team as we're seeing with Georgia and Kirby smart. So um, yeah, it's kind of exciting that the ACC has some fresh blood other than Clemson and Florida state. Now uh, Georgia tech was that other win. it was 25, 24. Yeah. 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 That was a mud bowl. I don't know if you <laughs> watched any of that, but like there's puddles uh, in the middle of the field. I, I have not been able to watch a ton of college football lately. Just, just a lot of freelance work and whatnot. But, uh, so hopefully that will change in the coming weeks because uh, this is where this is where it gets fun. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, interesting. Very interesting top four that we have right now. I mean, obviously Alabama isn't anything new, but then Penn State, Georgia, and TCU, followed by Wisconsin. I mean, those are teams that haven't been this high uh, in a long time. Some of them never. Um, so yeah, pretty pretty exciting that we have some some new faces in the top ten. Almost definitely. Uh it's going to be fun. It's going to be fun. We, we got five big-time undefeated teams in the top ten. Uh, obviously, you can there, there, there can be no more than four because if Georgia and Alabama keep winning, they will meet in the SEC title game. Could be some interesting implications in that game. Who knows? Well, obviously, yeah, there are implications in that game. But uh, what to do if they're both undefeated would be interesting. Um, but, yeah, uh, college football is certainly taking shape. The, the rankings uh, will be – fluid fluid uh as we go down the stretch and we'll have a a lot to talk about with these upsets but the marquee game heading into this weekend obviously penn state versus ohio state and we'll recap that game next week um chris let's take it back up north to some professional football though um just because it's professional football doesn't mean it's more enjoyable or at times more talented uh browns versus the titans uh, a 12 to 9 victory for the titans in overtime so that's seven field goals were kicked, zero touchdowns were scored uh, combined for these two teams in Cleveland. Uh, Chris, this is the closest the, the Browns got to, to winning a game this season. Were you surprised of the low score? Were you surprised of the outcome? Were you disappointed that they didn't win? At this point in my life, I am never surprised if the Browns are involved in an all-field goal game, Bob. <laughs> I mean, we have seen many all-field goal games yeah. the Browns being involved in. What I am surprised is that the Browns' defense made a goal-line stand. I mean, Tennessee had the ball, like, inside the five. They had, like, three shots inside the five. I think it was fourth and goal from the one. Then they put in Cody Kessler, and he drives them right down, and then he scored. And when they did that, I'm like, oh, my gosh, maybe maybe they found something. Maybe this has lit them up. The, the defense sparked them, and, and Cody Kessler it, it looks okay. And then they lose Joe Thomas, and... That was a tough one to watch, Bob. I mean, I mean, what 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 can you say about Joe Thomas? Ten thousand three hundred and sixty-three consecutive snaps. He had never missed a snap before Sunday. Looks like his season is over. It looks like his ten straight Pro Bowls is over. He has never missed the Pro Bowl. Bob, obviously a surefire Hall of Famer, but but man, didn't your heart break when you saw him go down with that triceps injury? Oh yeah, I mean, Joe Thomas in the left tackle position is the only position that a Browns fan can take for granted. I mean, he has just been a rock since entering the league in 2007. That consecutive snap streak started his very first game, his rookie season, uh, and obviously ended ten years later, uh, Saturday or Sunday against the Titans. So. Um, very disappointing and disheartening. Um, 
I mean, Chris, the Browns were bad without with Joe Thomas on the field. Now they lose their best player, the best player in the new Browns franchise history. I mean, and they're 0-7. Deshaun Kaiser got benched again for, for Cody Kessler this time. It's, it's dark right now for the Browns. I mean, losing losing their seventh game by a field goal in overtime to the Titans would would have been, you know, another loss piled onto the hundreds of losses that we've been through. But to lose Joe Thomas in route to the seventh straight loss of the season going, uh, you know, being zero and seven now, uh, it's, it's dark for the, for the Browns. I mean, it's, it's really depressing right now. Yeah. I'm just pulling up the schedule here. I think the Browns best chance at a win is hoping the wacky London game continues to be wacky at times. Uh, even though they're facing Minnesota with one of the best defenses in the NFL. Uh, good luck with that. Um, but maybe maybe something wacky will happen in London because I'm looking at at Detroit, home against Jacksonville, who has another great defense, at the Bengals, maybe at the Chargers because that home field advantage is not a home field advantage, and they beat the Chargers last year for their only win. Maybe Brett Hudley is not as good as Aaron Rodgers, and they can win at home against the Packers, and maybe at Chicago, Mitch Trubisky. But but that just has Cleveland heartbreak all over it with the Cleveland angle with Mitch Trubisky. So I, I don't know, man. I'm struggling. I'm struggling to find the optimism in this schedule, and I'm struggling to find optimism with this team because, like you said, the Browns were 0-7 with their best player. Now they lose their best player. They had trouble protecting the quarterback with Joe Thomas. Bob, I mean, this is this is looking more bleak than last year's season. Yeah, I mean, uh, for Joe Thomas to to get injured and for his season to end, and you know, there's questions of whether he wants to rehab that injury and come back. And I can't blame him, you know, for uh, how his career has gone or how the teams he's played for during his career has gone. I mean, it's a good time to to stop and consider your priorities and what you want to do. Um, that's that's the nail in the coffin for me. I mean, that that puts a wrap to the Browns having another terribly depressing season, regardless of what happens in the second half. I mean, they're not going to win more than three games. You outline the possibilities. I mean, the Bears are probably the worst team of that bunch, but they've already won three games. They're three and four. Uh, they won last week against the Ravens uh, with Mitch Trubisky, I think, completing only four passes or something like that. You know, they're they have they they are a winning team. <laughs> the Browns are not. Only uh, only the Forty ers are are the only other winless team, uh, and it seems like the Browns in, in San Francisco are trying their best to 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 be the two worst teams in the league for a second consecutive season. Yeah, I don't I don't see I don't see them winning a game this year. Uh, I I mean the odds are likely that they at least win one um, just out of sheer volume, but I don't see them winning a game. And yeah, it's certainly more depressing uh, of a team than last year, just because Joe Thomas is not going to be on the field for the final nine games. Bob, I think best case scenario, they're one in 15. I I can't see them winning more than one game this year. I I think they will surprise against someone. I I think there's someone on the schedule. They're surprised and win, but I can't pick who, and and I certainly don't think it's going to happen twice. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, sorry, Trubisky not against the Ravens against the Panthers, seventeen to three win. Uh, 
went four for seven. Still a great defense, though. The win. I mean, Carolina's <laughs> got a good unit, too. Yeah. The, uh, those 14 points all came on the defensive side. Uh, Eddie Jackson scored two touchdowns for them, I think, yeah. if I'm remembering that right. But anyway, they're, they, they, they're able to win despite their quarterback. The Browns can't do that. I mean, there's no, there's no talent on the defensive side other than Miles Garrett right now, uh, and he's still figuring it out and isn't that much of a game changer where he can win a game solely by himself. I mean, th- this, this team is terrible right now. I will say, though, seeing Miles Garrett – gives me some hope but but we've had Joe Thomas for 10 years and couldn't put anything around him I mean you can't you need more than one cornerstones to 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 win I mean as its name implies there are four corners you can't just win with one (laughs) yeah (laughs) I mean I I think technically you can have more than four cornerstones but you get what I'm saying architecture debates a sports podcast uh, bob not an architecture podcast yet. just go with it the browns haven't drafted more yeah. than one in the last 10 years yeah i mean well miles garrett looks legit i mean he's getting a sack a game at this point um i, I will say david Njoku has improved i mean he he led the the team in in receiving yardage uh this past week and Julius Peppers looks good in the return game and is learning on defense as well so I mean there's hope there's still hope and those are all their first round picks of this year and I don't think Deshaun Kaiser despite getting benched pretty regularly during games now uh, I don't think he's a lost cause either I think you knew going into the season that he's going to be a project that there are going to be some serious rookie struggles with him Um, there's still hope but it's going to be it's ugly it's going to be really ugly for for the foreseeable future i also like david njoku too he has improved every week yeah yeah from training camp where he couldn't catch a ball to probably being their most reliable target i mean that's that's improvement all right take us somewhere um, more positive bob come on yeah yeah (laughs) let's go let's go to uh defending eastern conference champion cleveland cavaliers Opening the season two and one, uh, taken on the Bulls uh, this Tuesday evening. Uh, speaking of a former Bull and former Chicago native, Dwayne Wade uh, started those first three games. Uh, he is now moving to the bench role, uh, and J.R. Smith will be the starting shooting guard. Uh, also, former Chicago Bull and Chicago native Derek Rose uh, nursing an injured ankle. So, Chris, the Cavs have one point guard on the roster right now, and that's Jose Calderon. Uh, don't think that's uh what was intended with this Cavs roster but are you happy with Dwayne Wade going to the bench and J.R. Smith going in the starting role and then what's your outlook with uh Calderon uh in that starting point guard role well first off I think this is a I mean it only took three games to happen so I I think it's an overdue move um J.R. Smith brings shooting to that lineup I just I just can't you, you can't have all those slashers on the floor at the same time and play Kevin Love at center I mean, that, the floor spacing is a nightmare. So you have to have J.R. Smith start. But just because he's the starter doesn't mean he needs to play starter minutes. You can still rotate Dwayne Wade in, get him his minutes, pair him with Corver off the second unit, things like that. And that just opened things up a little bit more. So I think this makes sense from a logjam kind of, you know, rotation standpoint. As for Calderon as the starting point guard, I'm no, I'm not comfortable with him being the starting point guard because he's supposed to be the number three point guard. But this is why you have three point guards on the roster when your top two are injured. You got to go to him. Look, Calderon starting at the point in October, November, December, no big deal for me. 
if he's starting point guard in May, that's a problem, and I don't think he will be. I think eventually Isaiah Thomas and Derrick Rose will be healthy and back. So right now, it's it's hard for me to sound the alarms because this is why you got him, your emergency point guard, and so now you got to rely on him. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, I think it's only good news that Dwayne Wade's coming off the bench and I just read a report that Dwayne Wade requested to come off the bench. Um, so that's great that yeah. he's buying in. That's even that better news. He, yeah, that he sees that, hey, between Rose, LeBron, and Wade, essentially the three three very similar players offensively all need space to get into the lane. Um, that's just a log jam. So him going to the bench uh, can take over the playmaking role since they don't have a backup point guard. Then inserting J.R. Smith to give them that spacing uh, with three-point shooting uh, makes all the sense in the world. I'm not sure why. I think Tyron Lue was just giving Wade the courtesy of the start for, to start the season, uh, acknowledging his greatness in, in the past. And this was the move that would eventually be made uh, come, you know, the, the regular season stretch or playoffs or or October 23rd. Uh, Dwayne Wade would be coming off the bench to facilitate playmaking uh, with the second unit I've liked what I've seen so far from from the Cavs despite that blowout against Orlando I mean point guard is a huge concern uh, Isaiah Thomas can't get back soon enough I think Derek Rose would be good to go if they were playing meaningful basketball games uh, they are just being cautious with them he's going to miss the next two games and then he should be good to go uh, or come back and start for them but I, I like the rotations that they had Jeff Green has impressed me a lot um very springy and athletic. Uh, I like that option coming off the bench. Jay Crowder has been fun to watch as well. Uh, I have high hopes for these Cavs. Um, speaking of the way they started, uh, big showdown against the the Celtics to open the season in Cleveland, Kyrie Irving's homecoming. Uh, there was, I mean, in terms of an opening night, that was some serious high energy uh, and, and some, some, some tension in the air. But all that kind of got uh, erased uh, five and a half minutes into the first quarter when Gordon Hayward uh, hurt his ankle in the most gruesome of ways, and his season is all but likely over. Uh, so five minutes into his new career with the Celtics, and he's probably going to miss that first season. Um, obviously, I'm happy that the Cavs won. I'm not happy that Gordon Hayward's out for the year. I, I liked him as a player. I hope that he comes back. Um, but acknowledging his injury uh you you have to think that this alters the Celtics trajectory this season Chris what are their outlook now significantly lower uh because even though they're in the east I I don't think that Kyrie Irving alone can carry this team to the Eastern Conference Finals and challenge the Cavs by himself I I mean that's what their goal was to get back to the Eastern Conference Finals and be in a better position to beat Cleveland you took Cleveland's number two player made him your number one and paired him with a legitimate number two option in Gordon Hayward that along with the young nucleus and I know they had a lot of turnover but they still had two former top three picks in their lineup with a with a bunch of other guys that was supposed to challenge Cleveland in the East now I certainly don't think that they're challenging Cleveland in the East maybe they get to the second round and depending on who they draw and how, whether or not Milwaukee or Washington are for real or Toronto, maybe they can get there, but but it's not as, as clear-cut as it was before. I think with those two healthy, you had the clear number two team in the East 
they are not that anymore. They are just another Eastern Conference team, and I do not think that they will be a threat to win the Eastern Conference this year. And just so, just to make it clear, Bob, you said it best. Nobody wanted that to happen to Gordon Hayward. That that was a terrible injury, a terrible circumstance. Um, obviously, you, you don't want to see that happen to anyone, um, especially him. I mean, he he doesn't, you know, annoy him. You know, it's not like he's Draymond Green or anything like that. He's a very good player. Uh, doesn't get any under anyone's skin or anything like that. Even if, even if it were Draymond Green, I wouldn't have cheered for it. I mean, that's just a terrible injury. You don't wish those things on anyone. And, you know, obviously hope for a speedy recovery and, and all the best to Gordon Hayward because that, that, that kind of injury can change your career forever, Bob. Yeah, for sure. He's going to have a long road to recovery, but we've seen, uh, you know, Paul George being the best example that it is possible to come back from a, a horrific injury on the court. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't want, I, I don't want, I don't wish ill will on any athlete, uh, even if they are playing for uh, my hometown team's rival. Um, I, I want my hometown team to win. And yeah, I mean, it. Gordon Hayward being out for the season is going to make it easier for the Cavs. Uh, absolutely. Uh, they don't have to face him. Uh, the Celtics, you know, they signed Gordon Hayward in free agency, but they had to move a lot of key players to get him onto that roster, most notably Avery Bradley. Uh, and, and they trade away Jay Crowder and Isaiah Thomas. Those were your, your starting one through three uh, players last year. Um, it, it it's going to be rough for them. And, and yeah, I agree with you with the Bucks ascendant uh, riding Giannis's wave uh, and with the Wizards and, and Raptors holding Pat, it's it's pretty easy to see the Celtics as, you know, quite possibly the fifth best team in the East. Um, and even if they do finish second or first, I, I don't think they will have much of, uh, give much uh, contention to the Cavs uh, should they face them in the playoffs. Yeah, I, I have a hard time seeing Boston finishing top two. I I just don't think that that's in the cards for them this year. Barring any moves, obviously, and the Celtics could what? could pull the trigger on something. But um, well, we 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 did talk a little bit. Uh, we we talked Cavs basketball a lot last podcast, and obviously we talked some Cavs right now. But we didn't look at the league as a whole and, and give some projections and outlooks. Um, so Chris, let's uh, you know, obviously a, a week into the NBA regular season already, we have a little bit of foresight. Gordon Hayward injury included. But Chris, um, who do you like to make the the Eastern Conference playoffs this year? Well, I like there are five teams I think will make it: Cleveland, Milwaukee, Washington, Boston, and Toronto. I think those fives will be in, even with the Hayward injury. Um, I think Milwaukee will be a top three team. I, I think that they're going to take a big step forward this year. Uh, they are a team that's well coached, has a legitimate top ten, maybe even top five NBA player in. Giannis, I won't even try to say his last name, just call him the Greek freak uh, up there. So I, I, I like big things from Milwaukee this year. Um, the other three teams for me, I'm going Philadelphia because I believe in Ben Simmons and that core. I think Joel Embiid will finally stay healthy. Um, I'm going to go Charlotte and Miami, the other two seeds. But honestly, I have no idea who <laughs> the last three teams are going to be because I think after those five, there's this very significant drop-off. Yeah, I mean, I think it's going to be a game of hot potato for those last three seeds. Uh, nobody really wants to make the playoffs in that situation. Maybe the Heat, uh, they have some, some vets and whatnot. So uh, I agree with your, your uh, first five teams. I think the Cavs are, are 
the team to beat in the East, uh, the Celtics, we just talked about them. And I agree with you, the Bucks uh, will go as high as Giannis goes this year. Uh, and they could seriously make a case to, to be uh, the, the second best team in the East and, and possibly finish with the best record in the East, depending on how the Cavs uh, manage their, their players and, and their rest and their time. Um, in terms of those last three seeds, I like the Heat for sure. I like Charlotte as well. Um, you know, the Heat finishing with uh, 500, uh, almost making the playoffs last year. Um, and I don't know. I can't I can't bet on the 76ers when uh, Joel Embiid ha- has barely played any games over the past three years. Ben Simmons missed entirety of last year, and Markel Fultz um, seems to be hurt with his shoulder and his ankle and his switching his shooting form. There are a lot of questions there. I'm going with something a little bit more reliable and that's the Detroit Pistons. I think uh, with Andre Drummond and and Reggie Jackson and Avery Bradley, there's enough there for them to to get a low seed and make the playoffs. Hey, don't sleep on JJ Redick on Philadelphia either. Bob, come on now. (laughs) Uh, But but, but here's (laughs) here's why I like the 76ers. You just said it. It's going to be hot potato who a lot of teams won't want those last three seeds. I think Philly is going to be a team that actually wants one of those three seeds because they've been rebuilding for so long. They've got a bunch of young guys that they want to baptize in the playoffs now. Yeah, I mean, they have the talent um, on paper. I just, I need to see it first. I'm not going to stake my claim on them making the playoffs without seeing Joel Embiid play more than half a season. Ben Simmons play some games. Markel Fultz contribute. I like what they have, included J.J. Redick and Robert Covington and um, Dario Saric coming off the bench. I mean, they they have talent for sure. Um, I just got to see them put it together. But let's move out west, Chris. Uh, who are your playoff teams there? Well, the obvious one is Golden State. Um, I think they'll make the playoffs. I think that's an understatement. But um, no, no. <laughs> I think there are four teams that I think are going to be in. The Warriors, Rockets, Spurs, and Thunder. I'd be surprised if any of those four missed. And I'd honestly be shocked if if that's not their top four right there with the Warriors being number one once again. Um, I, I also like the Nuggets and the Timberwolves. I feel very good about those two snagging one of the bottom four spots. And then then the last three spots, I think it's between the Clippers, Grizzlies, and Jazz. I'm going to go Clippers and Grizzlies just because I think the Jazz lost a little too much with Gordon Hayward. And, and I still think that, that the Grizzlies and Clippers are good enough to get there. But it wouldn't surprise me if, if, if either of them missed it. But, but yeah, I, I like the Timberwolves and the Nuggets to take a big step forward this year. But it's all about those top four and where they fall. I think those are going to be your teams to beat, and those are going to be your Western Conference semifinalists because I don't think any of them are going to get upset in the first round. Yeah, I like that top four, and obviously the Warriors sitting uh, on top in the Western Conference as the team to beat in the entire league. Uh, Obviously, uh, that seems like a no-brainer at this point. Um, I agree with your Tim- Timberwolves assessment. Uh, if they do not make the playoffs, what what is going on up there? I thought they would make it last year, but now they've added Jeff Teague and Jimmy Butler to pair with Andrew Wiggins and Carl Anthony Towns. That alone, regardless of who else they have on the team, should be enough to at least get an eighth seed in the Western Conference. So, right. uh, yeah, I'm, I'm penciling them in there. Um, Memphis Grizzlies, I, I think, again, are, are underrated heading into this year. They between Mike Conley and Marcus Saul, there's they're gonna be they're gonna get in the playoffs. They're not gonna do much, but they are reliable to get there. Um, dude, I I like Portland. And I I like what Damian Lillard can do, and uh, Nurchik, the the center that they got from the Nuggets last year. I, I think he 
uh, gives him a nice number two and a nice pick and roll combination. Uh, and then, yeah, I think the Clippers have enough to get a low seed between DeAndre Jordan, Blake Griffin, and, and some of the the guys they got in that Chris Paul deal. Uh, I, I, I think they still will make the playoffs. So you're not in on Millsap and the Nuggets, man? No, I think they need uh, – no, no, I'm not. I mean, it's a crowded field in the West. I mean, uh, exact opposite of the East, and it, it has been this way for, you know, as long as I've been a basketball fan, as long as – pretty much the NBA has been around uh, the Western conference is just stronger. I mean, you can make a case for the nuggets. You can make a case for the Pelicans. I mean, between DeMarcus cousins and Anthony Davis there, that's enough star power right there to make the postseason. So I think there will be, will be some talented teams, not in the postseason in the Western conference. And, and I don't think the nuggets will make it. I like how in the East we struggle to pick the bottom three because they're all bad. And in the West, we struggle to pick the bottom three or four because there were about four or five teams that actually could make it. Uh, it's just, it's just a fun contrast, but, but I do agree. I mean, I, I, Portland's another team I like too. Yeah, it's, it's tough. I, I'm not going to stake my life on any of my bottom three picks, but I, I agree with you about the Timberwolves, Bob. If they don't make the playoffs, that's an epic disappointment. And I think they're the one team of the bottom four that could spring an upset if they draw the right team. Obviously, they face the Warriors. That's probably not happening. I could maybe see them beating the Thunder or even the Spurs in the playoffs. I, I could see them beating one of those other three teams uh, if, if everything goes right for them. Yeah. I'm I uh I really like the Thunder. I I didn't think I would, but I watched them play a couple games this first week, and they're pretty exciting. No, I I, I mean I'm not saying they're a bad team. I just think that the, the Timberwolves with Butler, Towns, and Wiggins, if that big three kind of takes the necessary step, it can be a formidable fall. Oh, for sure. Yeah, I I think they are definitely up and coming, and uh, can, can make some noise in the postseason. Definitely. Um, Chris, we haven't, uh, we've had the luxury of good basketball in Cleveland for the past four years since LeBron coming back. We haven't really had much at stake to pay attention to the draft and the draft lottery, but the Cavs have that unprotected Nets pick. Um, where do you think the Nets are going to finish uh, in terms of the bottom of the, the league and, and their record? I think they'll be one of the worst teams in the league. I don't think they'll make the playoffs, obviously. I think they'll be one of the, the five worst records, actually. I, I still think they're a bad team. Do you think they're the worst team? I mean, just talent-wise, the worst team in the NBA? I don't know about that. There are some bad ones out there. I mean, that's a competitive category. Yeah. I don't think they're – It is. I mean, they're, they're, they're certainly in contention for it. It wouldn't surprise me, but but I don't know, man. That, that's that's a competitive category. No, it certainly is. Uh, I agree with you. I think top five is certainly realistic, and they are in in the running for for worst record. Um, they they just are that bad. They don't have the incentive to tank like the other teams do, but that didn't stop them last year from from finishing worse with the worst record and, and winning the uh, the number one pick in the lottery. I think talent wise, they they might be even worse this year with with Jeremy Lin tearing his ACL, D'Angelo Russell really the only reliable talent on that team. And Brooke Lopez is now in L.A. Um, I think they very well could finish with the worst record again. Oh, they certainly will be in the running for it. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I think they'll they'll have some stiff competition from from teams maybe like the Kings and, and whatnot. But uh, yeah, they'll they'll be right there. They'll be right there fighting for it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, Chris, r- real quick, uh, who's your pick for rookie of the year? 
I'm going to go Ben Simmons. I know it's an easy one, but I, I think that he, I, I'm a believer. I was a believer in him last year, and then he got hurt. So I, I think he's going to win it. I, I think he is he is as advertised, and he is going to have one heck of a rookie debut. Yeah, um, I'm, I'm going with him as well. The last time the number one pick sat out uh, his rookie year or his first year and then came back uh, for his second season, which was his rookie season, that was Blake Griffin, and he took home rookie of the year and looked just head and shoulders better. I think that that year of experience, and by all accounts, he could have played uh, in the second half of last year. The 76ers just decided to keep him out and shut him down for the whole season. I think that's going to really benefit him heading down the stretch. He, he's probably going to get better as the year goes on, and most rookies in the NBA hit a wall uh, come springtime. Though I will say Lonzo Ball is already flirting with triple doubles nightly. Um, kind of surprising me how that has happened so quickly I, I think he could give him a run for it but I, I do think Ben Simmons is is the guy to beat the thing about Lonzo Ball is easy to hate on him because of his dad but the guy can play he, he is a talented prospect and he's showing it so far I mean his debut was rocky but the but he's bounced back nicely yeah definitely uh, and then lastly Chris uh, pick for MVP this is tough I don't think LeBron's gonna win it ever again even though he should get more rep than he does. I'm going to go Giannis because I think Milwaukee, I'm a believer in the Bucks, and I think if the Bucks have a big season, finish second in the East or even first, he's going to get all the credit for it. I'm going Giannis. Really like that pick. I do think Giannis is going to finish top five in MVP voting. I, I just He uh, continues to improve, and if the first week is any indication, I mean, he very well could win MVP. I, I, I like that. Chris, I think this is going to be LeBron's legacy MVP, uh, his fifth MVP uh, trophy. Uh, I think the narrative is behind him. Uh, every year you get more and more LeBron fans backing him. He deserves winning MVP every year, puts up the numbers, uh, gets top five voting year in, year out. Uh, and with the Kyrie trade, I, I just think that the narrative is there for him to you know finish with a top two record in the East, go to a, what is it now? And the seventh consecutive NBA eighth consecutive NBA finals uh you know with the heat and with the Cavs I I think this is going to be his you know career MVP award and he's going to get it partly not because I mean the the numbers speak for themselves in the record but also you know James Harden now has Chris Paul Russell Westbrook has Paul George and Carmelo Steph has KD KD has Steph I mean his usual competition Giannis and Kawhi excluded, uh, they're all partnering up, and it's hard to to justify giving one of them the trophy when LeBron is is doing it, yeah, with some talent around him, but not that star power talent that some of these other teams have. Yeah, it, it's a good argument, but the problem is I just don't think the Cavs are going to approach the season the right way for him to win MVP, and and that's why I think that a team like Milwaukee, who's probably going to go ha- have to go all out to win, you know, those fifty five games needed to finish second in the East. Um, I think Giannis is going to get more hype. And, and, and I, I actually think Kawhi Leonard is going to have a better case too because the Spurs, if they flirt with 60 again, they're going to look at him as the only guy and they're going to have to, you know, they're going to approach the regular season differently. Though the Spurs notoriously Spurs, it's called Spursing for a reason. Uh, I just think the Cavs are not going to go pedal to the metal and I think that that's ultimately going to cost LeBron. Yeah, uh, it'll be interesting. I do think there will be some fresh blood just because of what uh, some of the pairings we've seen out West. I mean, obviously LeBron and Kawhi and, you know, Russ and Harden, they'll get votes. But um, with a lot of them pairing up uh, with other stars, it's going to open up 
a room for guys like Giannis and, and you know Anthony Davis to, to get some votes and possibly bring home that trophy. Don't sleep on Russell Westbrook defending it, though, either. Because, I mean... Yeah, if he puts in a, a more efficient version of himself with Paul George and Carmelo... And they win more games. Out the output. Yeah. Yeah, I could see it. Well, uh, Chris, you want to make a... Uh, NBA championship prediction here oh we're gonna go Warriors and Cavs I think the Warriors will win it again um I can't pick against them right now but I do think it will be a more competitive road to the finals for the Warriors because I I do they're gonna have to beat assuming health two really good teams to get there so it could play out a little differently I, I don't think they're gonna just dominate the way they did last year but I do think the Warriors will face the Cavs when it's all said and done. Yeah, it's hard to pick anything else, especially from the Eastern Conference side. I think the Cavs, regardless of the health of some of his companions, LeBron's just going to carry them into the finals again. Um, Whether they win it uh, is a much bigger question. And if they're facing the Warriors, it's hard hard to see the Warriors uh, losing to the Cavs as currently constructed. And so I have to agree with you again, uh, Warriors are going to beat the Cavs. Though I don't think it'll be five games this year. I do think it'll be a good series. Yeah. Oh, I, I agree. I think uh, I think it'll be more competitive, and I think the Warriors aren't going to enter the finals with an undefeated playoff record like they did last year. I think they're going to have some Western Conference roadblocks, as you, as you outlined as well. Well... Uh, hopefully that's not true. I mean, hopefully the Cavs maybe play somebody else and, and are, are obviously we want them to, to win the title. Um, but NBA season is a grind and we'll be checking in with it uh, as we grind through to the postseason in April uh, on this podcast. Um, but Chris, we, we, we can't not talk about the World Series. Houston uh, is set to, to kick off against the Dodgers this week. Um, who do you think is going to win? Who do you want to win? I don't really care who wins as far as from a want standpoint. I actually think the Dodgers have morphed into the team of destiny. This is Kershaw's year. They will beat the Astros. But I think it's going to be a very fun, very competitive series. And I'm going to say it's going to go seven games. Yeah, I I think it's going to be competitive. I I agree. I mean, you don't get to the World Series, well, 2007 Colorado Rockies aside, without some serious talent um, and making a competitive series. they seem pretty evenly matched. I want the Astros to win um, just because it, it's it's a new team. It, it, I don't know. I, I The Dodgers just seem like a large market team that, you know, they remind me of the Yankees and the Red Sox and whatnot. I, I would like for the Astros to win, and I think they'll do it. I, I just think that they have too many stars offensively, too much deep, good pitching. Uh, I, I think they're going to pull it out. But I agree with you. I think it's going to be a deep series going six or seven games certainly be a fun world series for people not in cleveland but for me it's a little too soon to start peeling off that band-aid just yet uh maybe maybe next year on opening day is when i'll start getting into baseball again but that is all the time we have on this episode of clee talk thank you all for listening please come back to fenleyroadsports.com to check out all our old episodes you can follow us on twitter or instagram by searching fenley road sports you can subscribe to our podcast via itunes by searching fenley road sports and clicking clee talk 
or you can get to any of those social sites or iTunes by going to FenleyRoadSports.com and clicking an icon in the upper right-hand corner. It's just that simple. We thank you for your support and hope you'll come back next week for another episode of Clee Talk presented by Fenley Road Sports. But until then, go Buckeyes, go Cavs, and can the Browns get a win? Come on, man, bring one home. <laughs> All right, I'll see you, Chris. Take it easy, Bob.